Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And in this episode, I'm absolutely stoked to be talking to the fabulous Irene Lyon. Um, Irene is a nervous system expert. She teaches people around the world how to work with the nervous system to transform trauma, heal body and mind and live full creative lives. Uh, Her online programs have reached thousands of people in over 60 countries. She's got a master's degree in biomedical and health science and has a knack for making complex and easy info easy for all of us to understand and apply to her lives. Uh, She's studied extensively with the basically the, the thought leaders around the work of somatics, such as Dr. Moshe Feldenkrais, Peter Levine, uh, Kathy Kane, and she spends her free time eating delicious food, hiking in the mountains, uh, walking along the Pacific Oceans in her hometown of Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm so delighted that Irene has made time to speak with us today about all things nervous system regulation. <laughs> so, uh, hey, Irene, how are you doing? Hey there, Kate. I am well. I'm I'm waking up here on Pacific time, but I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Oh, thank you so yeah. much for for coming on. And yeah. um, you know, I, I became aware of your work a couple of years ago. I've been sort of stalking you on YouTube a little bit. <laughs> so much good stuff on YouTube um, from you and then decided to enroll in the smart body smart mind three-month program which is amazing and so I am starting to learn about all the things that well some of the things that Irene um, has to offer and and so I'd really like to dive straight in because I am fascinated in this kind of work and how the intersection with kind of people who are sober or maybe have used alcohol to try and self-medicate to do yeah. what whatever do whatever we do tend to do with alcohol to a problematic degree so I really yeah. want to kind of dive into this with you if that's okay yeah let's let's talk yeah so so firstly I mean you talk you say that you are all about the kind of autonomic nervous system mm-hmm. neuroplasticity please mm-hmm. can you explain some of the work you do and some of those terms just to sort of set out the out the environment with us a bit yeah it's not easy to explain I'm going to start out by saying that um, and you're probably learning that in the course but the you know the autonomic nervous system sounds like a big scary bunch of words but we all have one right and just like we have a brain and a spinal cord and so I'll just do a quick anatomy lesson if that's okay Um, the brain and spinal cord is what we would call our central nervous system so center center meaning down the middle the autonomic nervous system is part of the peripheral nervous system and periphery is just like it sounds it's to the outside you know if you think of peripheral vision it's what, you know, even though I'm looking straight at you as we record this, I can tell that my kitchen's over there and the wall is there. 
these sorts of things. So peripheral means coming out of the brain and spinal cord. And so there are nerves that come out of the brain. There are a lot of nerves that come out of the spinal cord. It's what allows us to move and do all the things we do. And it also gives us the ability to not think about how we digest our food, right? So unless you've studied human biology, you don't think about these things, but you know, I'm sipping some coffee here. I have some tea. I just had a little bit of smoked salmon for breakfast. I'm not thinking how that food and liquid moves from my mouth. I mean, I am chewing it, but as soon as it, you even smell, there's an automatic, you know, reflex You salivate, or maybe you don't salivate because you don't like something you're smelling, but it happens automatically, mm. just like our immune system does our hormone hormone release. Um, if we're shivering because we're cold or if we're sweating because we're hot. And so that's one portion of what is called the autonomic nervous system. The other side of it, or the other role, I should say, because there's not two branch, there's not two different autonomic nervous systems. There's one, the other role of the ANS, I'll abbreviate it for short, ANS is survival. So our fight, our flight, which a lot of people know those terms, fight, flight. Mm -hmm. And then something that's finally becoming more known is the freeze response. And the freeze response is sort of that last resort. I can't fight, I can't flee. I better shut down, freeze and preserve my life because I can't defend, I can't escape, et cetera. Mm. And so the autonomic nervous system has these two um, responsibilities in the human system and animals as well, right? Other mammals, other animals have this automatic autonomic need. Um, and so how my work blends this thing in, cause it's kind of elusive. It's not like I was raised to, in my twenties to do fitness training. So I was a trainer in a gym and rehab and exercise and all that. Like you can see the muscles when you're working out, you know, there's a very tangible thing that you can see is changing. You even might see your posture change, but with this, it's a little more invisible, or I should say it's very invisible. And one of the reasons people come to the work and start doing the work, there's a myriad of reasons, but it could be that they have what they would consider anxiety or they have what we would consider depression or, and I use those words very specifically, what we consider in current society, those things. So we can get into that um, in, a, in a sec. Um, maybe there's a chronic illness like chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, something autoimmune, migraine headaches, um, addiction, behavioral troubles, troubles getting motivated, all these things. And so people come into the work because they've heard, you know, through the grapevine or they've researched, like there's something driving the system to not be well. And that autonomic nervous system, the fight, flight, freeze is ramped up. It's on and it is directly impacting the functions of the physiology. Mm. So one of the things that's more less talked about when people hear, oh, that person has PTSD, that, you know, there was a car accident and they, they, we have this visual that it's like shock 
or, or fright or fear. And that's accurate. But one of the things that often occurs over time if someone has, let's say PTSD or what we would call complex PTSD is their body systems, their digestion, their hormones, their temperature regulation, their immune system, it gets unwell. Mm. And so often, Kate, there's this thought that that's separate. Like, oh, that has nothing to do with the war they fought in 1970 or the car accident they had 10 years ago. But when you understand how the autonomic nervous system works in relationship to these fight, flight, freeze and these basic functions that keep us healthy or not, obviously, Mm. we see the connection. And so the work that I've put together obviously didn't happen overnight. It took time, Um, but I was myself um, recovering ages ago from some injuries and such. I got into the field of mind, body um, work, science practice, and I was working in a very physical realm doing movement therapy with people. Um, And there were some people, Kate, that just were not getting better, even with the really good mind-body neuroplasticity work of retraining the movements, retraining the brain patterns. Um, I studied a body of work called the Feldenkrais Method, but I also have exercise science under my belt. And so there were these people that were uh, seeing me for injuries, pain, more of the physical variety, but you could tell when they walked in that there was something, they were stuck in their fight flight freeze. Mm. I didn't know that at the time, but it kind of, some of these people looked like wounded animals. Like they just didn't have a vibrancy to their system. And I started to do the movement work that was very successful with other clients and even myself, which is why I got into it, but they just weren't getting better with this sophisticated form of movement therapy. And that is when I was like, okay, I'm missing something. There's something missing what is it? It's clear that these folks who aren't getting better have had really traumatic stuff happen to them, but that was a long time ago. So what's going on? And long story short, that led me to find um, the work of Peter Levine, Mm. who's the founder of Somatic Experiencing. That was in 2008, which seems like yesterday, but (laughs) rumor has it that's more than 10 years ago. (laughs) And, and, um, I just immersed in those studies. I got into private practice, um, was doing really great work. Um, and one of the things that was really clear, which led me to create these programs online, which is how you found me, um, was it wasn't enough to just do one hour a week with a client. Like it, it just, there was so much, just we would call it dysregulation mm-hmm. in that autonomic nervous system that this individual, this client, their language was not on point for having a solid, healthy autonomic nervous system and all the functions that go with it. And I kind of was like, okay, we need to figure out a way for these people to work on this on their own at home with exercises, with homework, with education, and all the things that contribute to how I teach this, and we can get into that, um, because it isn't enough. And I often say, and you've heard me use this analogy, I think learning how to um, improve and heal the ANS is like learning a second language as an adult. Mm. 
it can't happen with just a few minutes a week and expect to be fluent in that language within 12 weeks. It would be, I mean, we know that's impossible. And so part of this work is not your typical kind of quick fix, mm. do it really quickly and then boom, everything's better. We're having to really lay down foundations and patterns that technically, and I'm saying this with air quotes, should have been instilled into us as infants and even as early as in utero, all that stuff. So that's a very long winded way of saying um, that's a portion of my work, uh, what the autonomic nervous system is and how they kind of blend together and we can dive further. Mm, yeah, thank you. And, and, and yeah. I do, you know, when you sort of say about the learning the second language mm -hmm. um, and it all taking time, um, and that it sort of almost reminds me of some of the practices. I mean, just in, in part of the old practices like yoga, like you have to show up to the mat every day and tune in your breathing with your movement and feel your body on the ground. And it, could you tell us a little bit about then how, well, I'd say why do, why is this maybe important and relevant to people who, yeah, have, difficulty with alcohol maybe have unhealthy relationships with mm -hmm. with alcohol and we know there's some kind of trauma link that's really common right but I'm wondering when we put it through the lens of the 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 vagus nerve the the autonomic nervous system what's going on there yeah well as a disclaimer I'm not an expert in addiction so I'll mm. put that out there but I do know from the studies that I've done um, and learning through my peers and mentors. When our system hasn't been wired with good, secure attachment, we would call it safety growing up, parents, caregivers that really attune and are unconditional to us. So to talk about addiction and, and trauma, and why one would go into that route as a way to self-soothe, we have to understand why is a person not able to self-regulate? Why are they not able to self-soothe? And that begins at infancy. And it even begins in utero where the little one grown inside of mom is getting all of her stress chemicals. So if we think about again, that autonomic nervous system and, and healthy stress is fine, you know, the little mm -hmm. things that happen, but if she is working three jobs, if mm -hmm. she's in a relationship that doesn't have to be abusive, but there isn't a connection, um, if she's living in a, a country that's torn um, at so, sort of the political level, a war-torn country, and we know this through the studies that have done been done post-Holocaust mm -hmm. and post-9-11, that kiddos that were in utero and born into that area um, have higher stress responses later in life. And actually Gabor Mate is a wonderful resource for this. There's a, there's a connection between addiction, but also chronic illness, PTSD, when there's been these early imprints of high stress. And so when we come out, and I gotta set the context a bit more, and you mentioned the vagus nerve, when we come out of mom, 
our ability to self-regulate has not been fully polished. It's not wired. And we learn how to self-regulate usually through her. It can be, you know, it doesn't have to be a woman, but usually, you know, babies want their mothers. It can be a father. It can be a nanny, grandparent. But that little one needs a more mature human Mm. to teach them the rules, the laws, the workings of self-regulating their system, right? Babies cry because they can't go and take something out of the refrigerator. They don't know how to clothe themselves. If they, you know, need to um, express their urine and all of that, they need help cleaning themselves up. So they're highly dependent on us as the adult and they need an adult that is, we, we would say regulated, able to calm down, able to meet them when they're crying and crying and be the calm, you know, connected person that says they're there, holds them with gentleness, maybe rocks them, but also attunes to the different cries. Mm. Uh, That's a cry of hunger. That's a cry of um, gas. That's a cry of um, fear. That's a cry. It's essentially getting your needs met. Exactly. Yeah. So that happens. I'll give two scenarios. If that happens with fairly good security and consistency, that's the key. The portion of the nervous system, it's part of the parasympathetic. And I know you've learned this, but Mm. I'll name some big words. The portion of the nervous system, it's called the parasympathetic and it's called the ventral vagal aspect of the parasympathetic, which is the vagus nerve when the security is there and the connection is consistent, that nerve gets built up properly. We would say it gets myelinated. That nerve directly innervates and connects, I should say, connects to the heart. It connects to the pacemaker of the heart called the SA node. And so it teaches that little one how to bring their heart rate down how to slowly calm down. It also teaches that little one how to seek connection and want connection, but also no um, danger in, in an accurate way. But then the scenario that we know of all too well in our current society is that doesn't happen. Mama has baby, mama doesn't know how to even calm her own system And what happens because we're working at the level of this nervous system is her lack of regulation is transferred through this vagus nerve interaction to baby. And so baby does not learn how to self-regulate. They don't learn how to bring the system down. So they live in, they can live in one of two states. One is very hyper aroused, very agitated, not being able to settle. The other is collapsed. And that's where if baby is left long enough and not attended to, it can go into a shutdown and collapse physiology because no one's coming. Mm. Like I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm scared, I'm wailing, no one's showing up. They reach a threshold to the point where they can't handle it and their, their system switches off. Yeah. So if we think about substances, for example, like alcohol, it is by 
definition, really, it's a sedative. It calms the system down, right? It slows things down. It's providing that self-soothing mm. when someone cannot attain that on their own. And this is sort of hallmark, again, through the work of Gabor Mate that I've learned and read and studied that most addiction, he will say as a lack of connection, I would say mm, that's part of it, but it's also a lack of the ability to self-regulate because we as humans don't need to have another human to self-regulate. When we're solid in our nervous system and we have regulation, we can self-regulate without another human. So we can connect to ourself. We can, can connect to a favorite pastime, to music, mm, right? To, yeah. to nature, to a book. Um, but if that, mm, if that self-direction, inward direction hasn't been built through that early time, mm. um, we'll seek out things on the outside that bring us down. And of course, alcohol is one, but so can um, exercise can be something. So can shopping, so mm. can, you know, being addicted to something else that um, is necessary in some ways, mm. you know, like if a person is feeling the inability to come down, they are searching for regulation. Yeah. I mean, oh, interestingly, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and when I think about Gabor Mate's mm -hmm. idea about addiction being the opposite connection, that yeah. that speaks to me of ventral vagal. It's like, okay, yeah. if that's if that's sparking, then I'm not sort of shut down somewhere, right? Yes. Or I'm maybe not being fight flight. But yeah, like you said, it's that, okay, that, you know, that, that, that lovely wavy curve that you talk about, about being able to respond, but come up, reach it, come down again. Okay. You know, yeah. we're, 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 we're sort of waving. We're not screeching sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, and I and I love that, and it, it because it, it's interesting because a lot of people that that listen to us, and certainly a lot of women that we work with, are mums and carers. Mm -hmm. And you know, this this occurred to me on on sort of sober forums a, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Once the internet had sort of opened up, mm -hmm. and we moved away from this kind of classically understood sort of sort of recovery models and, and AA and, and 12 yeah. steps to a, this kind of different conversation about a lot of women who were just saying, I am just really stressed out yeah. and I'm going for the wine. We have the mummy wine time. And <laughs> it seems that, um, you know, that women are doing that sort of, are just really dysregulated. We're encouraged oh. almost to be dysregulated mm -hmm. by doing so much heavy lifting. A hundred percent. I mean, uh, the, the demands <clears throat> on humanity alone are high in the industrialized world, right? And then now in the tech world. And we're so far away from that tribal, communal, you know, 12 people living in a yurt hut on the plains where you're in open air and you have your baby and there's someone there to help you. And this, I don't have my own biological children. I have a stepson who's an adult now, but it's, we're not built as females 
again, I'm being very specific because the, the female versus the children, right? We're not meant to have, in my opinion, a child, an infant, a little human animal that's immature and be left alone for days on end. And by that, I mean, you know, maybe there is a partner there, but maybe they're at work all day. You know, maybe they're, they're busy and they're, they're making the money so that the thing can be, you know, the, the house, the, the bills, all of that can be paid. And then you have a, um, a mom who's really isolated in many ways. Um, and that's nerve wracking. You know, you're looking for that connection. Um, and I remember I was really young and this was before I got into any of this work. So bear in mind, my, the context was more than 23 years ago, but one of my closest friends at the time had had her first child and she was a mess <laughs> and she hadn't had a shower in a week. Mm. And I'm like, how is that possible? Like where, and she had a husband who was loving and there. I'm like, what's going on here? Like there's something like those basic human needs were being kind of forgotten. Um, but I also know that her upbringing was quite traumatic. She had, there was a lot of verbal abuse, a lot of lack of connection in the family. So then there's also this piece is now that I look at that scenario, her own self-care was very skewed. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of addictive behavior in her life um, not from a sense of alcohol or drugs, but workaholism, mm. go, 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 not sleeping, like all these things. And so she then has a little one now as a new mom, and she doesn't know how to turn that dial back. Yeah. Right. Cause she's been driven to do everything. And so I understand why people would be, you know, I'll be really honest, driven to drink when they're alone and they don't have their resources, they can't get out for a walk alone because there isn't a grandmother or an aunt or an uncle or an older sibling there to look after the little one, those sorts of things. Yeah. So it's so multidimensional, Kate. Um, and I do think, you know, we see, I mean, Mandy and I both sort of bonded over mm -hmm. motherhood and this wanting to kind of take on mummy wine time and say, look, you know, this is screwing everyone up this is screwing us up but let's ask better questions because this is not because it's it's not you know a case of right well you just shouldn't be doing something else you enjoy I'm yeah. doing air bubbles as well yeah. but it's like well what it's actually care for the carer and support for the carer and I know that we both talked about this and the, and the, the instance of sort of mental health issues for new moms is massive there's a big sort of vulnerability around mental health for new moms isn't there and that isolation like you said when when you think about it you know and you you come and then you suddenly have a baby and many of us don't really know what to do with that. I mean, I remember my husband, actually, when we after, when we had our son, we left mm -hmm. hospital and we had him in a carrier. And my husband said it, it was almost a miracle that they let us leave hospital with him. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, I wasn't, we weren't trusted to look after these like a year ago and now we're leaving with one of our own. But it, it really feels like there's a disconnect, doesn't there? Well, that's a great visual, Kate, because <laughs> it's, you know, it's stunning in some ways um, 
one of the things that's that's interesting, and I'm you know in terms of Western, I don't know the PC term for this nowadays, but you know Western uh, worlds. My mother, for example, is from the Philippines, like full-blooded Philippines, and I'll never forget. I was I, I've been there many many times, um, but I was there with my first husband. <laughs> it's no longer my husband, and we were in the barrio, like village driving in one of these Jeep called a jeepney. It's like hot and there's chickens and there's babies and there's kids and you're like bumping down the road and it stinks of smoke because they burn the fields. And it's just like, it's just a totally different world. Mm. And there was an infant and a mother, if I believe. And my husband at the time said to my mom, uh, I, don't, I haven't seen any babies crying. Mm. And she just kind of sat there with this, like, mm-hmm, yep. And it's and it's accurate. You would rarely see a child, an infant crying in the barrio, not because they don't have that built into them, but their needs are being met continually. Mm. They're latched on, being carried all the time. And there's a communal sense and there's a connection that is very different than say in, you know, here I am in Canada and Vancouver in a city where things are very proper and that, that rhythm and flow mm. in the human system isn't there. Mm. And one of the things that is most important when we're just looking after humans in general, it doesn't have to be children, is having the ability to feel our own bodies. And so if we're not connected to our own somatic system, and its needs as an adult, it is very difficult to attune to and know what a little one needs. Mm. And it's actually innate in us to know those things, but we've been bleached. I tend to like that word, you know, we've been bleached, we've been wiped of that internal intuitive Mm. listening. And that is the part that, you know, how do we rectify that? I don't have all the answers, Mm. but I do know that when a human is very secure in their own system, they're connected to their internal source energy, they're connected to their nervous system, not because they're thinking about their nervous system, Kate, but because they're healthy and regulated, they know what to do with a little one. But what often happens is, and again, this isn't anyone's fault, it's just where we're at is we follow the script, the biological script of find a partner, maybe have kids, you know, mate, have babies. But if our personal traumas and the insecure attachments that we survived as infants and children and just the conditions of the world, if we haven't actually stopped to consider how disconnected we are from our own nature and the natural world, when this fresh, immature little human comes out, we're going to be screwed in some ways. Yeah. We don't know what it means to listen to the different cries. Mm-hmm. And it's not the fault really of anyone other than the system in some strange way has created this. But then, like I said, you go into these villages where my mother grew up and sure they have phones and iPhones and tech and all that but they're still, you know, sleeping in a room with 10 people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, and I was wondering what then, because 
there's part of this that is mum so shameful for for mums isn't it it's yeah. like so how do we well there's two things it's like well so how do we get better um mm-hmm. and how do we but first maybe this how do we kind of almost forgive ourselves or how do we get past the shame of the fact that we didn't kind of know or the things that we've done you know or the times we've disconnected with alcohol mm-hmm. that's a great question um I have a saying, and it might shock some people, but I'm going to say it anyway. The the saying is, there's no one to blame, and everyone is to blame. Mm. That's a bit like of a, what Mm. what does that mean? And that's that we're all connected in some way, shape, or form, right? As much, and we hear that, you know, we're all connected, it's all one, but the system and the situation we're in is no one's fault and it's everyone's fault. We all have contributed to this in some ways. And so there is something very powerful, Kate, about a person saying, okay, I did something wrong. I did that wrong. Just like when you have a child, you have to teach them right from wrong. Mm. If you don't, you're in for trouble later in life. You have to, it's true. There needs to be balance. And I'm, and I'm saying that in a healthy way, right? This is something that you will have learned or you will learn in the course is there is something called healthy shame that is essential to teach young mammals. This also happens in the wild. Don't touch that. Don't go in that there. All, you know, and that boundary needs to be enforced And so part of, we could say maturity as adults is being able to say, okay, I did something wrong Mm. and I feel terrible and feeling, learning how to feel that somatic sense of, oh, I, I did not know. And, you know, a lot of people don't know and that's okay. And now I'm going to make it better. Yeah. Because if we get, we can get, because of this higher brain of ours, right, that I mentioned at the beginning, our thought processes can hijack us into an oblivion of hopelessness and despair. And I can't get out of this, which is, you know, a real thing. Um, But we also have to be like, yeah, uh uh-huh, did something really wrong. And I'm going to own up to it. And now I'm going to do things differently. Now, then there are the parents that I've worked with who have children that are already old, you know, 13, 14 mm. adults, and they are they they have there's a need to grieve mm. from what I've seen, you know, and this is from talking to the moms, you know, who have gone through this work. They have to grieve and then they have to trust that, you know, okay everything's going to be fine and I'm going to do the work myself. And so one of the things that's uh, very, very interesting is. Am I getting KFC? Because you said I could. That's dad. I'm just on recording. (laughs) One of the things that's um, so important for parents to understand is that their regulation directly impacts their children. And it doesn't mean that they're telling their children what they're doing has nothing to do with that. It's do the work yourself, work on your own stuff. Mm -hmm. Maybe the wounds from your childhood, because let's face it, most of them, most of us have them in some shape 
you know, some way, shape or form. And you will be surprised at how mm, clever our nervous systems are at talking. And I say that again with air quotes to our offspring, to the people around us, even to our mm. pets, even our plants. Like I've people in my programs have said that their house plants get healthier Yes, as amazing. they start, I mean, I've got this beautiful plant behind mm. me. I, I don't think your people can see this, but like they improve when you become regulated and it's not some magical airy fairy thing. It's just that you as a human biological creature are more regulated. Therefore you're going to attune to the living things around you in a different way. And they will respond in turn. That's that co-regulation piece. It is, isn't it? When we're, huh? hanging out together and we're walking alongside each other and we're breathing and we're just doing the doing the do we're unified yeah. right and so the more you know to go back to um the parent the mom that feels like oh my god what have i done mm. a okay you have to acknowledge there there needs to be that acknowledgement of okay that something isn't right didn't do something right okay mess that up owning up to that and then, okay, what can I do to help and heal and learn and become more regulated in my system? Cause it will shift to the children mm. and it'll even shift to the children who are adults. Mm. It's quite fascinating, mm. you know, how that works. Yeah. I love that. And I, I think, you know, talking about, I, I love a lot of the co the co-regulation that I we talk as well about a lot of people that we, we talk to a, a sort of identify as highly sensitive, mm-hmm. um, don't really like socializing, probably used alcohol to cope with the fact that they could only cope with about 20 minutes of socializing and then wanted to go. So the, mm-hmm. there's, there's that side of it. Um, and I've completely forgotten what my train of thought was. Well, I'll actually, I'll, I'll speak to the sensitive mm. piece that you just mentioned mm. and maybe your mind will remember again. Okay. Um, what I've seen in my peers and my teachers and mentors, the term, we often call it highly sensitive person, right? Being sensitive is very important, right? It lets us know of danger, um, toxins in our environment. We need sensitivity. But when the sensitivity is dysregulated, that's when it's unbearable to be in a, mm. say, a social situation, to hear loud noises, bright lights, et cetera. Mm. That is typically, typically from what I've seen, um, again, early trauma, mm. early developmental trauma, not having that secure, solid regulation in your environment a very classic thing of those who are very, very sensitive and empathic, even crazily psychic, for example, is they are brought up in a home where it's unpredictable. Yeah. They don't know if one day mom or dad is going to be happy or the next day they're going to scream and hit us. They don't know what is going to happen. <laughs> and so what occurs is the little one starts to shift themselves to basically be a chameleon for whatever circumstance is happening. So they're, they're changing all the time and they're also being highly sensitized mm. and tuned to energy. And 
while we need that, it can become sort of swung to the spectrum of being harmful because we are feeling everything. Mm. And often that starts young to preserve and protect our own sanity as you know, really young, as young as an infant, you know, no one's coming, I, I have to shut down or I have to be very alert to what's happening so that I can then maybe shut down. Um, yeah. And so if we consider that, and I mentioned this because a lot of times people will say, oh, well, I wasn't beaten, there was no abuse, we had plenty of food, which is common. And usually the way it is, you know, most children aren't put through that kind of pain and torture. But there's this other thing of the parents being dysregulated, mm. the parents not knowing how to emotionally settle. And so then we grow up as adults, highly sensitive and sure there are practices, addictions, alcohol, severe introversion, you know, not connecting with other humans and it soothes us, it keeps us safe. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so we can still be very sensitive. I am so sensitive myself, but from a regulated point of view mm. is what we want to, in my opinion, move towards. Because mm. if we're not sensitive, we won't be aware of dangers. Yeah. And that's not good either. Yeah, yeah. Right. So my my question, because yeah. I'm, <clears throat> I'm aware of the time marching yeah. on, <laughs> even though I think I could just chat to you for literally all day all night but um how do we get better how do we regulate what would be your yeah your mm -hmm. your tips my tips well there's sort of mm. four to five of them and they require doing something once i mention them so um education is paramount so what we've talked about in the 40 or so minutes is the tiniest tip of the iceberg and understanding at a deep level what the autonomic nervous system is, the different branches, how it innervates the body. Um, the reason why that is so important is because of this higher brain of ours that is looking for meaning and understanding. And also um, one of the things that's really common when we have been disconnected from our body and not feeling it properly is when we feel something in our cultures, at least Western culture, if something isn't pleasant, we think it's wrong. We think something's wrong with us. If we feel a tightness in the throat or fear in the belly or butterflies. And one of the things about this somatic work and the nervous system work and working with it as you're learning in the course is sometimes these sensations are really important intel for us mm. to follow and listen to. And so by understanding what's actually happening at the visceral level, we can then actually use that higher brain, turn our cognitive hat on, not to distract, but to get curious. Right. So that it's funny that the, the, the mind can lead us into two different directions. It can lead us into awfulizing and mm. ramping up kind of that psychosomatic symptom, or we can actually use it for, you know, positive. It's very Star Wars light, right? The light, the light, the, the good is okay. I'm feeling this tightness in my throat. 
can I get curious with that and feel it? The next thing would be, so education is like the first thing. Mm. And that's what so much of my stuff offers is, is education. The second, and these are by, you know, the order here is up for debate because some people need to start with education. Some people just need a practical exercise. And mm -hmm. so one of the things is to learn how to follow what I call biological impulse. Mm -hmm. So one of the hallmarks, again, of when we're little and we're learning about our bodies, um, one of the hallmarks of disconnecting from the body is not being allowed to feel it when we're infants, when we're children. So often some of the things that get messed up are our hunger cues, our thirst cues, um, our need to go to the bathroom. You know, here we would call it go to the bathroom. I know in Britain it's go to the loo, that kind yeah, of toilet, that toilet. kind of WC, yeah. I don't know. Um, and so, you know, to be able to start to listen, am I actually hungry? Mm. Am I actually, am I full? Should I be? And this is a common thing. We see people either overeat or not, not eat enough. They'll get to the point where their blood sugar is so low mm. and they don't realize that's why they're snapping or that's why they're going for sugar is because they haven't eaten a solid yeah. meal of protein and carbohydrate and fat. And so they need quick, quick sugar. And it's easy to get something that's sugary to just fuel up the blood. So the food cues thirst. Um, again, not everyone, but most of us live in a chronically dehydrated state typically. And so being able to listen and feel when the system is dipping into low hydration and bringing that in, but there will be some folks who will go a whole day and won't even have a glass of water until they're so parched that their mouth is dry and they're coughing. The bathroom thing is an interesting one too, Kate, because if we think about kids in school, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but when I was being brought up in grade school, you couldn't just, if you felt the need to go pee, mm. you couldn't just as a little five-year-old get up and go to the washroom. Mm. You had to put your hand up. You need to ask for permission. And if mm. someone was in the bathroom, you couldn't go, or you had to wait until recess. Yeah. It's hard and for the I, little people. It's terrible. And I've worked with adults who have mm. terrible trauma around using the toilet because they've had accidents. They've soiled themselves and they're shamed by the mm. teacher. Who didn't, and it's just like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> right. So to really, it, it sounds really simple, but to start to listen to the pressure in your bladder, the pressure mm. in the rectum, the gas that needs to pass we're so um, in shame of our bodily, you know, we burp, we have to say, excuse me, we mm. pass gas and flatulence and it's this big joke or, oh, that stinks, get out of my, you know, and it's really yeah. weird. It's yeah. really strange, right? And we have comedy routines around it and all that, but to, as an individual, just start to notice how much we might deny those bio biological impulses. And the reason why it's important, it goes back to what I was talking about at the very beginning, the autonomic nervous system governs our digestion. It yeah. governs our hunger, all these things. And so when we can actually actively pay attention, we start to heal. The next thing, so education, first one, 
following biological impulse. And then the next one is learning how to really connect to the environment. So one of the hallmarks of not being attuned to when we're little or trauma or bad stuff that happens to us is we get pulled out of our environment. We dissociate from ourselves, but also from the world around us. And so one of the common practices is learning how to orient. And there are some samples on my site so people can download those free of charge and just try them out. But being able to just see where you are in your space and to actually actively take it in slowly, intentionally feeling the head, feeling the eyes. Are you breathing? Mm. Can you sense, um, you know, the pelvis, your bum on the chair? Can you feel your feet on the floor while you connect with the environment? A lot of the mind-body practices focus so much on the body, which is important, and the breath. Mm. But we need to connect to that outside world because we're in it, Mm. right? And it's often that outside world, if we've had harm in the past, it came from the outside. It didn't come from the inside. If you really think about that, most traumatic experiences that little people experience, it's not because their body, you know, of course, there's some instances where children say have epilepsy, then that's different. But for the most part, little ones are harmed, not from their own bodies, but from stuff on the outside coming into inwards towards them. And so to and the same with that, shock trauma, right? The yeah. same with uh, things that happen later on. It's exactly. It's true. It's from the outside, but then how do we respond to that is super important. And so to be able to reorient to the outside world, to the environment. And then the one I already kind of mentioned quickly was, can you actually sense your body in contact with that environment? Mm -hmm. So the feeling of your feet on the floor, my hands are on my desk here. It's a bit like doing that, isn't it? It's a bit like... I remember yeah. when I'm starting to get into your training, I was like, oh, okay. Like, like yeah. I do yoga, but I tend to close my eyes. So I'm in my body and my breath are attuned, but I had totally zoned out. So I was like, oh, oh okay. I don't, oh, that takes quite a lot of bandwidth for me. <laughs> it does. And it's, it is our birthright, right? Mm. If we are out in the plains or wild animals, like they are so connected to their body, the ground, the texture, the wind, the snaps of twigs, that there's a cliff that they might fall off. Mm -hmm. There is a a multidimensional awareness in a healthy system. And again, it's not to be ashamed of not having that skill, but it's to bring it back, Mm -hmm. right? And it it can be frustrating when you first start this, like what, you want me to notice my breath, you want me to feel my bum on the chair, you want me to orient around and you also want me to feel the sensations of my body. And yeah, often, yeah. it's like, that's impossible. It's like, well, <laughs> actually yeah. it's not. And we've been so trained to not have that multidimensional awareness. Mm. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, you know, this is where, again, like you said, we could talk for five more hours, but the little things in life that we kind of move through, the little pains, the little stressors, every time we deny 
feeling our stress response when we've had something stressful happen or a scary thing happen or an emotion that we're feeling and we suck it in and we don't express it mm-hmm. that stores up in our system and it shuts us down right uh, you would have learned at the beginning of our course the swimming pool and beach ball analogy mm-hmm. you know which is on one of my uh, resources on my site um, the healing trauma series a lot of us have a capacity that's quite minimal mm. to feel, not because we don't have the potential, but our system is filled up with so much stored emotions, stored memories. Yeah. And so that would be the other thing is for people listening to start to really honor that tear that wants to come out, that laugh, that anger, that grief, and then to connect to the ground to connect to the environment and just know that the body wants this stuff to move out. One of the hallmarks of depression is stored anger and aggression, right? And so we have a whole culture that's stored healthy aggression for centuries and storing that inside is like trying to stop a dam of water from moving. It's a lot of energy to store in the system. And I love what you said. You just reminded me then about resources as well. And you start off like there's a sequence to it. So to make sure that we have those things to go to, to feel safe and to soothe Mm -hmm. so that the, we don't get overwhelmed. Um, Yeah. And that, you know, this is where the wine can be a resource, right? mm -hmm. Easy one. Um, but if we know that there's an addictive tendency in our system, then how can we find a resource that is less harmful and more helpful? Yeah. So, you know, this is where a person has to do an inventory. Is it nature? Is it a funny movie? Mm. Is it a book? Is it, um, cooking food? Is it, can it be a, you know, a warm cup of tea that has a good scent to it? Is it calling a friend? Mm. You know, is it X, Y, is it a bath? Yeah. You know, like, and again, everyone has to figure out what their resources can be that are helpful Yeah. and are more, more so something that can be done at any time of any day. Mm. Right. Yeah. And I I love that. I think that people, a lot of people could relate to that. I know that I certainly did as in when I had stopped drinking and I, you know, I, I was a social drinker um, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, mummy wine drinker, Um, Mm -hmm. but it had definitely become that go to that number one, again, even air bubbles, resource, unhelpful resource. And so I see that in in myself and a lot of people who, a lot of women, it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, let's get the resources on board. Maybe that's the first thing we do. Mm -hmm. And then we, Mm -hmm. then we can introduce a bit more inquiry and, and, uh, and I love that part of your work where you said, actually, you know, this has got to be sequenced to be, to feel safe to people and yeah yeah that really made a lot of sense in terms of our you know the the sober community or sober curious definitely 100 and i think you know we also have to build up resources and capacity internally so 
when we do more of this work, we not that it isn't important to have that favorite book or that warm bath 100%, but that we can also self-regulate without those things. It's like the way in somehow. Yeah. An entry point. 100%. 100%. And, you know, there's this whole notion, too, of mm, go cold turkey and just stop all those bad habits and behaviors. But it's also important to not jar the system and to offer it some foundation before you pull something away. And so you know, again, it depends on how dependent a person is on a substance, but, and I'm going to use an example that is not like alcohol, but if we think about a lot of the antidepressant medications and anti-anxiety meds that are starting to be seen are highly, highly toxic and very addictive, you cannot stop those in a day, Mm. have to taper or else the system will revolt quite severely Mm. Right. And so, again, it's that element of how can a person gradually shift the habit, the behavior, Mm. not through force of will, Mm. because that then can breed another problem, Mm. but through intelligence and building resources and foundations Mm. and learning about the body and connection. connection Connection. support it's all of that stuff isn't Mm -hmm. it that you're talking about all the pieces you know does the person need to exercise Mm. a little bit more are they getting enough hydration are they getting enough positive food sources um there's so many pieces that we forget this again i'll use that word multi-dimensional element Mm. um because I'll, i'll go out on the limb and say Alcohol, it's interesting. I'm going to share something with you, Kate. I haven't, I don't think I've shared this with any, maybe anyone on um, a show like this, but I enjoy my, I enjoy wine. You know, it's, it's, it's something that I do enjoy. And, um, and it's also not there, you know, at 12 in the afternoon when I'm stressed on a deadline. It's, it's something that's used, but not abused. Mm. And I remember, posting a picture of a beautiful bottle, like it was a really nice bottle of red wine or a glass. And I was attacked by someone online because their thoughts on it, and perhaps it's not, it wasn't healthy for them, Mm -hmm. Um, but everyone's a little different, right? And so it's, this is something that people often say is everything in moderation is important. Um, but also understanding your habits. So for Mm. some, that might not be possible to have that one Mm. glass to enjoy when you're having a meal with friends at a restaurant versus using it to self-soothe, right? So it's, again, this ability to know um, how we are taking in that which has been created by humans Mm. um, and doing so responsibly. I know that seems a bit cliche, yeah, but it, and it, it, it's that piece, though, isn't it, as well, if you are dysregulated, and I think there's the social piece as well, where because it's so normalised, I think it's probably yeah. different maybe in Canada, but in the UK, it's like it is an expected rite of passage to adulthood. It's like, you know, you get called out. So you get the lack of, you get the disconnection socially if you don't use that particular yeah. substance. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's that piece, you know, that is so problematic if you have 
if your drinking is problematic it can mm-hmm. be such a lonely place because you're like oh my god I'm never gonna have fun again I'm never gonna enjoy myself I'm never gonna connect I'm never gonna get to my ventral vagal state without this thing sort of thing a hundred percent you know you're so accurate because again um I've traveled a bit in the UK and Scotland mm. or England and Scotland and you're right it is a very uh, collegial thing that people do together um I also lived in Australia it was Ooh. also <laughs> yeah say no more that was that was intense you know um yeah. that was a big one um but if I again if I go back to my mother's home world like mm. in the Filipino village there was beer mm. but maybe some people had it some people didn't it wasn't a big deal yeah. you know you might have it with your chicken and then Mm. that was it you know you didn't go out and get more there were there were no bars that people Mm. went to um it was really interesting that cultural difference and then here in Canada it depends really where you are yeah uh, because people have other addictions that are that also help themselves soothe um sport is a big one where I'm Mm. being addictive to addicted to sport outdoor sport that kind of thing and that is seen as very healthy because you're Mm. using your body but But it's yeah I worked in that industry it was destructive it was so destructive to people's bodies yeah and you have you've got I'd say our big ones are alcohol especially you know in terms of what we're talking about as well it's a particular pain point for me Mm. uh, having gone through it myself where we're not supported and then we do we, we're encouraged to take a substance which disconnects us even more and that's the peer pressure thing that's right just yeah it's, it's just big. and then but then workaholism as well I think that, that you know mm-hmm. work addiction um mm-hmm. they'd be the they'd be the biggest ones in the UK I'd say at the moment yeah uh, and to funnel that back to the nervous system you know um when we are solid in our regulation and we're really mature Mm. in our nervous system and in our emotion in our emotions and who we are we would call it being very sovereign Mm. i love that sovereign self we won't be bullied into anything anything yeah and we just know we know and there's sort of what occurs kate is that I call it the high school mentality. You know, a lot of folks transfer to adulthood and they don't leave that high school. Mm, so and and I I would see that and I have seen that in in the UK because my first husband was from Britain and I saw it and I saw it in Australia. Of course it's here as well. I think it's probably all over, but mm. there is something about that maturity of regulation and knowing who you are what you stand for what's okay Mm. what is it It comes back to that right and wrong where you as a little one taught right from wrong you know Mm. no I don't want that um those sorts of things so it all kind of blends it does and I and I always say you know just to bring it back to to alcohol is that I Mm. couldn't I always said that getting rid of alcohol was like suddenly putting these on with the mixing desk it's like I could suddenly hear 
my edges, what was okay, when Uh, I needed a wee, when I didn't, I would wave away red flags, crash at the end of the day, you know, did that (laughs) classic thing, you know, rush, 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 finish at the office, miss the train, I've got to pick Uh, the kids up, crash. And it it almost gave me that level playing field, that that solid ground Mm. to start to regulate. I couldn't even get to it before until I'd got rid of that. So and and it's mm-hmm. so interesting that that piece and that intersection. Yeah. And what you just described was knowing you. Mm. Right. Your system, your, you, you started to figure out for you what it is that you needed mm. to find whatever internal yeah. regulation you needed. Um, and so there is something quite magnificent when you get that nervous system mm. back online and the body online. It's amazing. You know, and you might need to take something away Mm. for that to occur. It's just like sometimes you have to leave a toxic relationship to even feel your body because you're in constant threat all the time. Yeah. But when you're in it, you don't even know you're in it. It's like that that uh that metaphor of the frog and the 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 warm pot of water that slowly gets heated up and it doesn't realize it versus you put it in a boiling and it jumps out Mm. when something when something's been kind of a certain way for so long, we adapt, we become malleable to that circumstance. And sometimes it takes a big shift Mm. in our environment or in our physical state to go, whoa, this is not good. Mm. Yeah. 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 So thank you so much. It's fantastic. Do you know, yeah. I just need to just say, because I I'm, I have a feeling when I say this to people, they think I'm crazy. Okay, that's cool. Crazy. But I, know, <laughs> I think that you'll get this, right? See, I yeah. think that the Islamic call to prayer five times a day is a thing of genius. I'm I like, agree. What a thing. Like if I was queen for a day, I would I would make that like everyone had to do it. I wasn't expecting you. To, I, I wasn't expecting you to say that, but <laughs> no, I remember thinking that when I was in Turkey in like 1997, traveling for the first time in Europe mm. with my then boyfriend. We were in that country for almost four weeks. We loved it so much, mm. and it was just so wild coming from a more Catholic-based upbringing where you just went to church once a week for an hour and I kind of hated it you know I didn't know why I was there um but to see people stop and use their bodies get down on the ground and from a pure structural point of view and I know there's deep faith there as well and I completely respect that but the fact that 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 happens throughout the years into the older years is keeping the entire system healthy. And that pause, I talked about this on our, our training call for SPSM yesterday, the, the importance of pausing multiple times a day for at least, I said, eight minutes. And the reason why I said eight minutes is because that's how long it takes for the adrenaline to get sucked back in when we've had a stress response. Oh my goodness. I didn't know that. And so there's this thought, oh, I have to do my one hour of meditation. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Mm. At a a day or my one hour of quiet time. But if we actually, I said, we had multiple times a day where we had 10 minutes to just pause. 
in my opinion, and of course, this isn't a research science study, but it would be interesting to do it. Mm. We're doing more benefit because we're continually bringing our system down throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah. So I relate to that. I, I get it. I think yeah, micro great... breaks, <laughs> micro breaks. Yeah. Yeah. That involve movement. That's the, that's the thing with yeah. that player regime. Is it yes. And it's getting right down on the ground. And ground. then you've got some vocal stuff. You've got yeah. everyone doing it together. It's like it just ticks all the boxes, doesn't it? It's it genius. Does. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, again, yeah. I could just no. talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Um, well, I put all of your information about where people can find you on the show notes but if you just just quickly tell us a little bit about what you've got going on what sure. you've got coming up where to find you so my name is my site so irene lion like the town in france.com um when you get there there's a lot there but everything you need is there from my social platforms to my free resources um there's an entire page so don't be overwhelmed of ebooks that you can download. There's about three audio samples where you can download those. And I'm actually guiding you through a very simple kind of multi-dimensional piece of awareness. Um, and then the, the three-part healing trauma video series, I really recommend. Um, and then depending on when someone hears this, um, every year we run Smart Body, Smart Mind, which is what you're in right now. Mm. We open enrollment typically in March of the year. So of course now it's May, 2021. So we'll open up enrollment in March, 2022, but mm. a person can start learning through um, one of my self-study courses, which is called the 21 day nervous system tune up. And that's a 21 day course, um, brings you through the depth of education, um, some practices, prompts, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then a YouTube. I got hundreds of videos on YouTube. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, just the, the like you say, the wealth of knowledge. And I think you just have this such a gift for explaining the kind of complexities, but just in a mm. really accessible way, you know. Mm. And it's kind of need to know. It's need to know for the 21st it's century. Right. It's, we got to get this on board now. Yeah, That's you said it, it first. Yeah, it, it, it is. Yeah. I don't think that I, I personally believe, Kate, that it's impossible, nearly impossible to, to do well and thrive. We could survive, right? Mm. But thrive. We need to understand this because we're not living in the natural environment that we were originally in. Yeah. And so the, this world isn't changing in terms of the industry and the tech. And so we have to understand our bodies in a much deeper way so that we can catch ourselves when we're going into the opposite of repair and regeneration. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the smart body, smart mind, right? We've got to get smart in our bodies and use yeah. our higher brains to look 100%. after us too. Yeah. I, I, I love it. Thank you oh. so, so much. It's been amazing. Oh. I've you had a so proper fangirl hour with you. Ah, thank you. Thank you so, <laughs> so much. Um, to talk. 
Oh, amazing. So um, if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, just reach out. Um, you can contact your, your GP if you're in the UK. Uh, Soberistas has an anonymous Ask the Doctor service. If you don't want to do that, you can send up a flare to us at info at lovesober.com. Just get connected. You're not alone. And um, we will see you next week for more chat.